0: Well, I don't know how much you put in the offering plate, but for all that music, you should put in more. (laughs) If you went to a concert, that would cost you $60 a ticket, and you get it for free this morning. Wasn't that great? Let's give our musicians a hand again. And also the choir, so good to have you back after a long summer. Let's give the choir a hand, or clap for yourself. And it's good to have you back as well. In 1780, Ben Franklin said that all wars are bad and all peace treaties are good. And I mostly agree with him, except that there are some fights that are good. Our culture, in some places, detests war. And yet there are some good fights to fight. For instance, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that we are to fight the good fight of faith. And when he wrote to Timothy when when Paul was in the dungeon, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have run my race. I've kept the faith. We're told in the book of Ephesians, again by the Apostle Paul, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So put on the armor of God. There is a wrestling match to the death with the evil forces in this world led by the enemy, the evil one himself. And we must wrestle with them, fight with them. Or how about this? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not literal. They're not guns and knives and bombs. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual, and they have mighty spiritual power to be able to pull down the devil's strongholds. Oh, I tell you, my friend, we are in a war. And it's the good fight of faith. And it's the book of Joshua that tells us how to be a good soldier. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua And this is going to be our series for this fall. I'm not going to tell you how long it's going to last because I always get ridiculed. So no one really knows, but I have an idea. But we're starting out in the book of Joshua, this wonderful, amazing book. It's an exciting book, one of the most exciting pieces of literature ever written, filled with drama and intrigue. Battles and adventure, not to mention some of the most amazing miracles ever described in the Word of God itself. That's the wonderful book of Joshua. Just before we read the text, let me remind you that this all started 500 years before. With a promise that God gave to Abraham. This is Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. The land. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So the blessing given to Abraham is not just that he is going to spread good cheer and blessing around the world wherever he goes, but that God has in store for him a land. That promise was reiterated to his son Isaac. Stay in the land for a while, God said to him in Genesis 26, and I will be with you and I will bless you for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and I have confirmed it with an oath the promise I made to your father Abraham. And then we go on from Isaac to his son Jacob. Again, the promise reiterated in Genesis 28. May he give you all and all your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you might take possession of the land. And then at the end of the book of Genesis, when Joseph dies and the Hebrew holy people are in the land of Egypt, Joseph said, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to your land, the land he promised on oath to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Of course, you know what happens in Hebrew history. Uh, The Hebrews living in Egypt become slaves and end up getting bogged down in that horrible place for 400 years. And then God Almighty delivers them through his representative Moses. And you've got the ten wonders in Egypt and then the parting of the Red Sea and and the destruction of Pharaoh's army. And all of this is going on and they're finally out of that land and they're on the front doorstep of the promised land. And they send some spies in and the spies come back with a bad report. That is ten out of the twelve and so because of unbelief, they're not able enter, to enter into the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they began to wander in the desert for how many years? Forty years. But now after the 40 years, and now we've, we've gone through the book of Exodus with them being in Egypt and being sent out of Egypt and the wanderings in the book of Numbers. Now we come to the east side of the Jordan on the plains of Moab, looking westward to the land that God has promised. 500 years after the promise. And they're ready to take possession of it. Moses can't go over because of his own arrogant sin. Compared to others, he indeed was a saint, but he disobeyed God, and there's always consequences in that, no matter who you are. So you have the book of Deuteronomy, which is basically five sermons of review just before they go into the land. They only spend a month there, but they talk about all that God has done and all that God has said, and the promise is reiterated. This is Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Have you ever heard that? That's because that's promised over and over and over again. Moses, you're not going to go into this land, but I'm going to go into the land, and I'm going to choose Joshua to lead the people into the land. He'll go ahead of them. And the promises given to Abraham will finally be fulfilled. So Moses dies at the age of 120. Israel mourns for him for 30 days. God buries his work, but he doesn't bury his workers. The work goes on. So who is this Joshua that is supposed to lead the people of God into the promised land? Who is this guy? Very interesting biography. First of all, he starts out as a slave in Egypt. Born in Egypt. The eldest son of a man named Nun. N-U-N. Nun. Which means that while Joseph was in Egypt and the Passover was going on, being the eldest son, he was in great danger that night. But his father Nun put the blood on the door. And Joshua lived. Joshua saw the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's army. And and Joshua was not only a slave in Egypt, now he became a soldier for the Israeli army. He fought Exodus chapter 17 against the Amalekites and defeated them when Aaron and Hur held at the hands of Moses. And the battle continued on with favor and victory. It was Joshua who was an aide to Moses Think of this. He went up on Mount Sinai with Moses. That's a cool gig and a fearful one. He heard and saw God, at least the representation of God and his power. He was from his own tribe Ephraim chosen to be one of the 12 spies that would go out and investigate the new promised land. And so he went With vim and vigor and excitement. And only he and Caleb came back and said, we can take the land. And the nation listened to the bad report of the ten. And guess what Joshua got to do for 40 years because of the sin of someone else. Have you ever been tempted to attack someone for their dumb choices that make your life miserable? Happens all the time. And Joshua wandered with the rest for 40 years. But now he's chosen as God's representative to take over for Moses. And I can tell you this, when you're taking over for someone who's been around a long time, who people greatly love, it's not an easy job. Moses, my servant, is dead. That's the way the book of Joshua starts out. By the way, the book of Joshua starts out with death and ends with death. Joshua dies at the end of the book. And it is book-ended with promises, the same ones. In literary fashion, you would call that inclusio. This encloses the story by ending as it began with great promises. Look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, then, you and all these people get ready to cross over. And here's the theme of our book Get ready to enter in. Are you ready? Yeah, not yet, but I hope you will be. For God has for us a promised land to enter, much like He did the people of Israel. And it's time to get ready. And stop wandering and enter in. Get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them. That is to the Israelites. This book is about possessing the land. So let's start out with acknowledging this. In the very first verses, promises are given. Rich promises From a God who cannot lie. The word give is in verse 2. It's in verse 3. And we're going to find it later in verse 6. I'm about to give you the land. I will give you the land. I am giving you the land. Sworn to Abraham. It's time for the promise to be revealed. God Almighty is a good God who continues to give us rich gifts. But thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. That's 1 Corinthians 15, and it refers to Jesus, because there's no better gift than Christ. It's interesting that the dimensions of the land are given. In verse 3, it says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert, that's the southern border, the Negev, to Lebanon, the northern border, and from the great river Euphrates on the east, all the Hittite country in between, to the great sea, that is the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Now, I suggest to you that three of these borders we have no problem with, the north Lebanon, the south, the Negev. The western border is the Mediterranean Sea, but the eastern border, did you know that it goes all the way to the land of the Euphrates? That's ten times larger than Israel, the land Israel has ever occupied. Simply because God loves to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and more than we ask and think. They had more to gain And never realized it. That's an interesting point in the book of Joshua. You have more than you have. (laughs) You have more than you enjoy. It's time to possess your possessions. I don't know who first said that. I would love to quote someone. But everyone uses it. So I'm going to use it without quotation. It's time for you and I to possess our possessions in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord basically gives to Joshua a threefold promise. There is the promise of the land, and we saw its dimensions, and I'm giving you this land promised 500 years ago. There is the promise of victory. Look at verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Now, remember, the promises of God have conditions to them. Now, sometimes God will make an unconditional promise, but often you and I want to embrace promises thinking that there's nothing we have to do. It's unconditional. God has sovereignly chosen to do something. Let's just sit back and watch Him do it, popularized by the familiar phrase, let go and let God. there's an element of truth that we need to stop fighting against God and pushing forward ourselves and let God have his way. But this idea that Christianity is just stepping out of the way so God can do it all, you won't find that in the book of Joshua. And you won't find that in your own Christian life. God has promised you victory. In the New Testament, 1 John 5, faith is the victory. So if you don't use faith, forget about winning. We don't enjoy what God has given to us because we don't possess our possessions. But he said, I'm going I'm to promise you that no one will stand against you all your lives. And then there's a third promise. It's the promise of his presence. Maybe the best promise of them all. I will be with you forever forever. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor Don, this is great, but this is a book about war. This is a book about Israel. This is a a book about claiming literal territory. What has it to do with us? We're in a spiritual warfare, and there's spiritual territory and inheritance to claim. And we do it not with swords, but in faith. And yet there are so many similarities to the warfare that the book of Joshua can show us much. The book of Joshua advances the story of redemptive history in Israel's past. But it also illustrates our own redemption story. We too came out of Egypt, right? the house of bondage and sin. And we were let out by the blood and the Passover and taken out through a a mighty miracle, the exodus. And God pulls us by his grace out of this world so that we might walk by faith to a new land he promises us. And yet we spend most of the time wandering because of unbelief. The beautiful imagery of Canaan is the abundant life For the Christian. It still has its conflicts. But God brought us out of Egypt to take us into Canaan. God brought us out of Egypt to take us into Canaan. Now some of our hymns I feel mislead us. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye. To Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. And it's a song about heaven. But in heaven, there is no battling, there is no sin, we are not defeated, we're not failures. This book is not about entering into heaven, it's entering into an abundant life that Christ offers to us. It's not entering into a life where we begin to put our life on cruise and just become the recipients of his rich blessings. No, no, there's battling all the way through the book. And in fact, some enemies, they never dislodge. Doesn't that sound familiar? With my spiritual warfare, there are some enemies I'm still trying to get out of my heart and life, and they're tenacious and don't want to give up ground. This book illustrates how the believer can say goodbye to the old life and embrace the rich life, the inheritance that Christ has for every one of us. The book of Ephesians explains doctrinally what the book of Joshua illustrates practically. That we are in Christ, we're seated in the heavenlies, all spiritual blessings are ours but we don't grab hold of them. It teaches us the reality of warfare and reveals to us the possibility of victory and makes us see that the Christian life is not intended to be easy, but rich and deep and full. And it also shows us there is rest in the midst of the conflict. There's contentment in the midst of the conflict because Joshua is going to be quoted in the book of Hebrews. We'll see this later about Resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a book for you. It's a book for me. It's a book about growing in our own spiritual life. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher who lived in England in the 1800s, said this about the book of Joshua. Many of God's people are still in this unsatisfactory condition. They've come out of Egypt. The depths have swallowed up their adversaries, and they're on their way to the promised heritage, but they have not yet entered into rest. They will, we trust, ultimately reach the peace of God, which passes all understanding, for they have faith sufficient to prove them to be God's people, and therefore God will surely bring them in. But assuredly, they make a great deal of marching for very little progress. What a great description of the church today. We make a great deal of a marching sound with very little progress. For lack of faith we go about when with a step of faith we might possess the promised land. And so we're marching to Canaan. We're crossing the River Jordan, and under Captain Joshua, who, by the way, is a type of Christ, the captain of our salvation, we're going in to possess the land and grab hold of all that God has prepared for us. And what did he say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what he said in Genesis to Jacob. That's what he said a moment ago when we read it from Deuteronomy 31, to Moses, as I was with Moses, now Joshua, I'll be with you. These are the same words that were given to Gideon in the book of Judges I will be with you. And to the exiles who came back, almost a full quotation is given I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will be with you. The greatest blessing you and I possess is the presence of God. In a redemption in Christ. But how is this to us? If you still doubt that the book of Joshua is to you. Then I want you to simply understand Hebrews 13. It's a quotation from Joshua. And it says, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man will do to me. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The writer of Hebrews quoting the Old Testament to apply to the believer's life under the new covenant. There we have our scriptural justification to embrace this thought that the book of Joshua is for us. Not to go conquer the beautiful land. And to push into Jordan all the way to the Euphrates. No, the Crusades were a horrible misunderstanding of biblical truth. But you and I have a fight to fight, and it's the fight with sin in our own heart and life. This is a book about new beginnings for the people of God, and I hope this is a book about a new beginning for you. And you. And you and me, and all of us. How about a new beginning? I mean, that's kind of what fall is, isn't it? This is a new beginning. Summer is over. We've had a great time. I didn't want it to go, but it's gone. I can't pull it back, but it's time to start afresh and new. And now I have the opportunity to kind of begin again. Begin again in my prayer and in my Bible reading. Begin again in my advancing in Christian Christlikeness, And so this book has a threefold charge, along with the three promises. There is the charge to enter the land. And by the way, this is kind of the outline of the whole book. If you want to take it down, we'll talk more about the outline. I'll hand some out to you. But this is the basic outline of the book. The first five chapters talk about entering into the land and preparing to enter and crossing the Jordan and, and all that takes place, the covenant that is made in chapter 5. And then you have from chapter 6 all the way to halfway through the book to chapter 12, they're defeating the enemy. These are the battles of Jericho and Ai against the southern five kings and the confederacy of the northern kings and how God leads them every step of the way through battles, although they lose one. That's interesting. Interesting. And then finally, you have the people dividing the land. And and that is chapter 13 all the way to chapter 32. This is where they claim their inheritance. This is where Judah gets theirs and and, uh, Manasseh gets theirs. and, And all the tribes are given their portion of what we call the beautiful holy land of the Bible. The last two chapters talk about Joshua's farewell, his final messages to renew the covenant He first of all talks to the people in chapter 23, and then he get or the the leaders, and then in chapter 24, he gathers all the people together and says the same thing. And guess what he says at the end? Be strong and of good courage. For the Lord your God will be with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. So there are promises given, but courage is required that's the second half of this and we begin to see it with verse six be strong and courageous the word courageous courage used four times in this chapter it's the very thing that moses shared with the people that god had shared with him be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land i swore to their ancestors their forefathers to give them Again, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Strength and courage. Strength of belief and courage to obey. Courage is vitally important in the Christian life. And I like the definition, I don't know who it comes from, that courage is not the absence of fear, but it is resistance to fear. It is the determination to go forward in spite of fear. So how do we claim our inheritance? Courage. This is where I feel very much like the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz. I don't have any of my own. But that's exactly what God wants to give us. The fact that God would give the land to the Israelites did not preclude the fact that they would have to fight to take it. They would need to express courageous action. When's the last time you have acted courageously? The whole land was theirs. But they could only claim what they actually possessed. By the way, if you go back to verse 3, how did they claim the land? How did they take the land? Well, it says in verse 3 that every place where you set your foot will be yours. You got to go there, right? You can't sit back. You've got to move. That's courage. That's action. Rich blessing in the Christian life is not bestowed upon the indifferent. The promises of God are not intended to put us to sleep. They are to rouse us to action. Because every promise in the book is mine. Especially this one. I will be with you wherever you go. And so forward we go. I think it was JFK who once said, efforts and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. I like that statement. We have our purpose and direction, don't we? It's the word of God. It's the person of Christ. That's our purpose for living. And our direction is the Bible. So with those two, let us then marry effort and With courage. Oh, we're going to be spoken against in this age. It's getting hotter. But that's okay. We have our marching orders and so forward we go. With effort and courage. Someone said a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not where ships are supposed to be. That's not what they're for. You cannot sail for new horizons until you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. You cannot go further in your Christian life until you're willing to risk following Christ in a non-Christian world. That's courage. So it is the strength to believe and the courage to obey. But how do I get courage? Bible. You say, where does that come from? Look at verse 8. Do not let the book of the law, which was probably the five books of Moses, don't let them depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do everything written in it. Now, three things are stated about the word of God there. By the way, the the word meditate means to mutter. It was the common Jewish practice to read the Bible out loud, read it to yourself, read it to someone else. But if you're all alone, you would mutter to yourself as you would read the Scriptures. That helped you to think about what you were saying. But notice, the mouth is to be talking about the Word, and the mind is to be thinking about the Word, and the life is to be doing the Word. So there is to be sharing, and there is to be thinking, and there is to be doing. One of the greatest capacities that godly people possess is the capacity and ability to receive. They know they need God's spirit. They know they need God's word, and their arms are opened by faith. To receive. What are you receiving today? I hope you're receiving something this morning, and I hope you'll determine with all of your heart to receive God's Word in the future. But it's the Word of God. God owned the land, gave it to Abraham, promised to the descendants of of Israel, and yet the people didn't enjoy the land until they took it. What God has given, we must grab by faith. And the more we blame God for not being concerned about our situation, the more we acknowledge we don't understand how good he's been to us. No, the promises are given, but courage is required. And we can only go forward in the presence of God. I love how the book ends. You don't need to turn there, but verse 23 and verse 14 in Joshua's last message, he said this, You know with all of your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises of the Lord our God that he has given you has ever failed. Everyone has been fulfilled. And then he repeats it again. Not one has failed. Twenty-three, Isn't that good? Promises given. And at the end of the book, he met every one of them. And that's why you and I need to embrace the promises of God, not casually, but courageously. What promise do you want to grab hold of today? One of our worst problems is our apathy. I'm okay. I talk to people about their health. How are you doing? I'm good. Talk to them about their spiritual life. How are you doing? I'm good. Really? I know people lie about their health. Well, we would be good if by the grace of God we were grabbing hold of more of the land every week by faith. By the way, the book of Joshua is not a record of what Joshua did for God. It's what God is going to do through Joshua. And imagine the record that you could give to your children and your grandchildren to the next generation of what God did through you. Because you said, like Caleb, I want that mountain. I want that mountain. Now, let me just say this to you, and it is a quotation It comes from Alan Redpath, former Moody church pastor, who said that God has nothing for any of us except what we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has nothing more for any of us except what he's already given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In him is the fullness of God. It doesn't get any better than that. Now we need more of Christ. More of Christ controlling our life. More of Christ filling our life. We need to gain our possessions because God has given us so much. We need to get a hold of it. There was a young man who was graduating from college and his father was rather wealthy. So he made it clear to his dad that he would like a new car as a graduation gift. He knew his dad could afford it. On graduation day, his dad called him into a study sat him down and said, son, you know I love you. And I want to give you the best gift I could ever give. Something that will bless you. And he gave him a box that was wrapped up. And the boy was a little disappointed because he was hoping a car was parked outside. But he thought, maybe, still maybe. He opened up the box and there was a brand new leather-bound Bible. Threw it down on his dad's desk. How can someone like you, with all of your money, give me a gift like this? And he walked away and left the Bible on the desk. He was pretty angry with his dad for quite a while. Eventually, there was some kind of reconciliation, and then his dad got sick, and the son made his way to his dad's home, but got there too late. His dad passed away. Before the funeral, the son began to go through some of his belongings in his study, and he found that Bible. And he opened up that Bible and underlined was Matthew 7, if you are a human father and know how to give good gifts to your son, how much more will God give good gifts to you? And while he was reading that Bible, a check fell out of the back of it, written to the dealer, that said, paid in full for a brand new car. (laughs) You don't know what you have in Christ, but I tell you, my friend, it is amazing. Let's possess our possessions. Heavenly Father, we do pray today for your grace and mercy upon us. We thank you for our time of worship And long to know more of Christ. We have all of him there is in one sense. And we have very little of him in a practical sense. Of acting like him, following him, serving him, rejoicing in him. So give us our rest in Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen.